Welcome to Empowered Communication. I am Meredith Hawley, a workplace conflict mediator, communication coach, and attorney. And I'm Megan Mellon, a social impact strategist focused on large-scale systems change. This podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to substitute for legal advice or for therapy. Laws are different in every state in the United States especially when it comes to employment law and in every country, they're also different. If you have concerns about your workplace experience, we encourage you to seek counseling, seek therapy, seek any modality that might help you and to get legal advice from an attorney in your area. Today, we're going to talk about expectations. What should we expect from a work environment? As we dive into this topic, we will cover the ground between level setting and inventorying our expectations so that we can be more empowered in dealing with moments when those expectations turn out to differ from our experience of reality. Meredith, we come into workplaces with all kinds of expectations, often thinking that we don't have any at all. Where do expectations come from? And can you give us an example of some expectations you've found yourself bringing in a different working environment? Yeah, totally. So people often come to me, especially when I'm doing mediations and they say, all I'm asking for is to be treated with respect. All I'm asking for is to be treated with decency, just common sense is all I'm looking for. But what they mean about what common sense is, what they mean about respect, what they mean about decency, or like what seems to them as obvious is not obvious to the other person participating in the experience. And a lot of times this could be justified. So for example, I think like a lot of people don't want to be interrupted at work. Mm. That's a common trigger. A lot of people don't want to be touched at work. A lot of people don't appreciate raised volume in voices at work. Mm -hmm. However, a lot of times we aren't aware of when we're doing those things. So some people at work don't want to be touched. Other people think of themselves as huggers and think of touching as really supportive. Some people um, don't appreciate raised volume at work. Other people think of themselves as being enthusiastic and engaged and as passionate people and raised volume is part of who they are. Like interruption. I interrupt people a lot and I'm more conscious of it now than I used to be. But for me, I want to move conversation along. I want things to go quickly. And so I tend to start speaking, not realizing that the other person hasn't finished speaking. And so I think any of these things, most of them come from our family dynamics growing up. They come from the education system that we were in, TV that we watch. Um, They can come from different cultural values. But the main point is that most of them come from good places. Most of them, they come from places of our own values and our own experiences in life. So we get expectations from all over the place. I'm with you on that family dynamics. Basically, it's any place where these stories get created in our mind, right? Of like not only what's important, but that second layer you spoke to of what it looks like when that is being upheld versus what it looks like when it's being transgressed. I don't know if anybody out there is a high school debate nerd, if that is in anybody else's like cultural milieu from the 90s, early 2000s. But in high school debate in the National Forensics League in Kansas, where I grew up, um, there was this term called a bright line. 
And either a situation had a bright line or it didn't have a bright line. And so I think one of the things that you are pointing to that's very juicy here is like, well, of course I need respect in the workplace, but the bright line around respect not only might not be clear, it might not be the same for you and the person next to you who both want respect, but one of you comes from a family of 20 really loud people who show their respect and love by being all up in each other's faces and kind of nosy and asking questions and reflecting that they know what's going on in your life. And then the next person who comes from a much more serene or kind of solitude oriented environment may feel like what respect looks like is staying out of my business and focusing on your own work so that I have space to maintain my own area in the workplace. Each one of them might realize they have expectations around respect, but what respect looks like can be different from person A to person B. We have that in the law too. It's not just in debate in the law. They talk about a bright line rule versus like a rule that's open for discretion or interpretation. Um, And I think that that's exactly right. I think that there are some workplaces that I've seen where people work with a vulnerable population, for example, work with people with disabilities, children, elderly people who are designated as vulnerable populations. And a lot of times those workspaces have much more um, written down behavioral expectations about what can happen in the workplace. So I've worked with organizations before to help them create a affirmative consent policy. For example, they've worked with vulnerable populations and they're, they know that there is additional liability for non-consensual touching. And so they also work with that with employees of just saying, Hey, can I give you a hug right now? Hey, are you open to me putting my hand on your shoulder with this? Can I touch you right now? Like I said to a client the other day, can I touch your body right now? Cause I just wanted to give her a hug. And she was like, yes. You know? And she knew what you meant. Obviously yes. she wasn't like, um, excuse me, context. Wasn't- no, you were erring on the side of clarifying the intent so that she had every room to be like, actually, I'm not requesting I'm not okay bodily contact at this time. Yeah. And it, you had humor in it a bit too in your, you know, immaculate mirror way in that way, <laughs> giving her room to say a no, right? Because you have a client relationship, many of your roles, there there can be a power dynamic there. And that was addressed by this like kind of affirmative consent protocol. I'm hearing you say that workplaces really differ and can choose to differ even further if they want to, but workplaces really differ in the amount of clarity that they create from the outset when we have something like a corporate value or a legal commitment to quote unquote safety or whatever. I don't think professionalism is a legal commitment, but they could have different levels of clarity on how much they say, this is what this looks like. This is what this doesn't look like. I think that that is a problem that happens quite frequently is that policies are not clear about what the actual behavior is that they're expecting or prohibiting. And so Mm. we say bullying is not allowed. We say professionalism is expected, but somebody will accuse another person of bullying. And the other person says, this is just how I show up. This is how my family dynamic was growing up. I'm not bullying. I'm being direct. Or a person will say, this person is passive aggressively talking about me to coworkers in a negative way. And the other person's like, no, you know, you were misbehaving. And so I was just trying to correct the situation. Like these dynamics, if we're not specific, it leaves a lot of room for honestly, like a lot of abuse and drama. Mm-hmm. In the law, you said there were bright line things. And then there was the other, what's, what's something in the law that's not the bright line? It's like a discretionary 
discretionary or I actually love this distinction. Like as if I put myself like in my manager's shoes, I'm like, all right, if I'm a manager who's either new or very caring, right? Like I really care about my workplace being a little bit less prone to intensity or conflict around this kind of thing. That's one sort of spectrum I could look at is to what extent are we in bright line mode versus discretionary mode when it comes to the expectations people will bring to the workplace. And then once they come, you know, we onboard them for the week, they will get a new sense, right? After the first week, we have our first impression, we develop some expectations on site. So whether it's what employees are bringing in or what we bring in as workers or what we form when we're first there, managers do or can play quite a role. I suppose any of us can, but managers, when we're in those roles of managers, we can play a big role in helping create that bright line clarity and places that might have historically been open to interpretation. And this is one of the areas where we can be proactive, right? And in creating inclusive work environments that are going to be low drama so we can focus on what we want to contribute. We can. And I think that you can err on both sides. Sometimes managers say every time they get a complaint, the behavior that was complained about needs to be prohibited. And that is not right. necessarily always the case. Sometimes yeah. you may want to say, unfortunately, I understand you're uncomfortable with this behavior. This behavior is allowed in this workplace. How can I support you in your experience of this? This is not going to be prohibited. This is not a disciplinary issue, but Mm -hmm. I want to be open to your experience about it. And I want to give you supports around that. So for example, some people are very, very bothered and triggered by tardiness. Some workplaces will allow tardiness up to a point, right? Right. And allow flexible scheduling. But like Meta as a tech company and like a couple colleagues I have there who I sometimes meet, I don't work there. Oh, I'm like, oh, sorry, I'm a few minutes late. And they're like, don't worry, we all have like a five minute grace period. It's just a norm. Yeah. And that's just what they do. Yeah. And so one person may have a personal value of being 10 minutes early to everything. Right. But other people may not get in trouble, even if that person is kept waiting on a Zoom or kept waiting Mm -hmm. in a meeting, right? Some workplaces do incorporate touching and touching is necessary in the workplace. For example, nursing involves Mm -hmm. a lot of touching people's bodies. And Mm -hmm. so you may have to create more nuanced policies around what's allowed and what is not allowed, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not necessarily every time somebody is bothered. I used to have this old boss who, even when he was talking at a normal volume, you could hear him across the office with a closed door. Like he had this loud talkers. This is, this is a hot topic. But it was just like, he wasn't even talking like his voice just carried. Like if you're in a room, you can be in a crowded room. You can hear him across the room and he's not yelling even. Right. I'm a loud talker. I get it. I'm a loud talker too. Like for some people that is very triggering. Understandably. No one was going to say, hey, this guy is now fired because his voice Mm -hmm. carries like that's not going to happen. And then the next step is also to give folks who are very triggered supports around that. And you Mm. might not make a policy against loud talking, but you may make a policy against personal insults or against accusations to a subordinate or against a supervisor not taking responsibility for a subordinate's work product. You can encounter it in other ways. So I want to take this in a very specific direction that is just showing up for me as we do the loud talker situation. The other one that had kind of queued up in my mind as we were exploring here is the tuna sandwich in the workplace. Okay, Mm -hmm. like 
Some people are really not into fish. There's like a whole list of foods. Nobody wants the tuna fish sandwich. But also like both of those examples of loud talker, I think when we start entering the tuna fish sandwich territory, it also brings up a lot of cultural I was going to say, it's usually too. not a tuna fish sandwich. It can though. be curry. Yeah. It could be anything, right? It could be vinegar on fish and chips, right? Choose your country, choose your culture. It can, but it's often food associated with... Places with- that had access to spices and the yeah. spice road, right? which is a whole legacy. And like, usually it was not yes. the colonizers, right? Who are like, yes. I don't really like what's going on here. So that has, you know, places like this, we have dynamics of culture, dynamics sometimes of race or racial coming in and it, it can become very unclear, especially if we started out in an environment that was not conscientious or cautious or conscious of the bright line to intentional discretion spectrum. So let's imagine the loud talker. Let's imagine, I'm going to call it the tuna sandwich and then we'll put the cultural piece on later because you know we're going to neutralize it for just now. One of the things that I notice with the loud talker as I kind of play this tape back about environments I've been in is sometimes it feels threatening to me or it has felt threatening to me to walk up to the loud talker and to say something like, I really don't like how loudly you're speaking. Mm-hmm. That feels scary. Totally. And what I notice when I look at how I feel like I got trained to behave, I almost got trained to behave that it's safer for me to be like, you know what, that guy is really disrespectful of other people's needs in the workplace. Mm. It actually feels safer to me the way I was trained to make the interpretation and then frankly to socialize or like socially test that interpretation with other people, aka gossip, right? And be like, I don't like how Jack was talking today. I really feel like he doesn't just, he just can't do a vibe check around here, right? But this also can be how people, especially I'm a white lady, right? How we as white people can create a toxic work environment, right? We don't go right to the person because it seems confrontational. So we do the nice white people thing sometimes. And all of a sudden we start this other conversation, which 100% digresses from the mission of the business and the needs of the customers. So a question I have for you, you know a lot about neutralizing language. And so I would love to just say, you know, having coughed up my lesser instincts there on walking over to Dennis or whoever we call them and being like, Dennis, I notice I'm experiencing distress when I can't focus on my work. Like, what would I even say if I didn't want to provoke the gossip train and I wanted to speak to Dennis to be responsible for my own experience? So I think there are two important things there. One is that I think there is a power dynamic that you're talking about there. And I think that I think needs to be called out. So It's one thing if you're talking about a supervisor who has a lot of privilege associated with their identity and who also has power in the organization versus if you're talking about a person who has characteristics that are marginalized in the workplace and or socially marginalized. So I think as white ladies, it's like if you're talking about Dennis, the white guy who goes golfing every weekend, who's also the like big boss. That's one thing. That's a power dynamic where we as white ladies, as white subordinates have less power. If you're talking about the black woman who just got hired and you're uncomfortable with her, that is a very different power dynamic. And I think that that's a space where white women weaponize whiteness and protect whiteness through talking about a person. 
So I think that it's two different things if you're talking about how do you approach the person that is engaging in the behavior that is outside of what you expect for your workplace or outside of what you want to tolerate in your workplace. I think that's one thing. And then I think another thing is taking a step back and looking at the power dynamic and where you fit in the social, financial, organizational hierarchy. And whether talking about it with other folks is seeking allies because you need support, because there's a gap space where you feel that there's a gap in the power that you have Mm -hmm. versus weaponizing your own power against somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I think those are two different experiences that we engage in. The first step, though, with either, I think, is loud volume and talking can be a boundary violation. Whenever we're talking about boundary violations, always the first step is to come back to ourselves and say, what do I need right now? How do I take care of myself? Mm. You don't owe anybody communication around their boundary violation. You don't have Mm. to go to Dennis and correct his behavior. Your duty to yourself is to be safe. And sometimes that means leaving that environment. And it is okay if somebody is violating your boundaries to leave that environment. That goes back to the thing that we've talked about, about what if you get fired? What if you get disciplined for leaving? What if there's a consequence for you for protecting yourself? And ultimately for me, I had to come to the conclusion that my duty to myself comes above my fear of consequences for protecting Mm -hmm. myself. That's just a really important personal rule for me. So I'm willing to say, I'm going to leave this workspace if somebody keeps touching me, because for me, that is a boundary violation that I really care about. Like I'm going to move away. I'm going to step away. I'm going to protect my body. And for other people, volume is that. But if you want to talk to the person, I think you can communicate to the person. And a couple ways to do that is to say, I'm standing right here. I can hear you. (laughs) You can lower your volume. We can all hear you and make it jokey, like which I like to make it jokey. Another way that is more serious is volume really triggers me. Mm. I would appreciate it if you would try to be conscious of your volume. Mm -hmm. I love that because it's owning. You're owning your expectation there. You're owning your infrastructure, frankly, and like how you're wired. I also could see some in some spaces, depending on where we all are in the media cycle, I feel like triggering can be its own trigger word. But I could see saying, you know, I notice raised volume really activates me. Mm -hmm. I feel like that one also would feel pretty neutral. And I wonder if you would be willing to meet me at a lower volume while we're standing here. And if not, also, we can figure out another arrangement. Like, It's owned and I've made a request. It's not a demand and I'm not judging him. Yeah, everybody has their own language sort of of how they say things. You can also say like, I have trouble hearing people when they're talking really loud. I'd appreciate it Mm. if you lower your voice. I love that. Some of our listeners may be familiar with a strain of therapy called internal family systems or IFS. It's associated with parts work. If you are not an IFS person, like give it a Google. The framework is real interesting. But one of the things that that modality has involved in my experience is this practice of sitting with your own inner children, like specifically the ones that have been either exiled or who have been trying to protect you. And so they kind of walk you through this visualization, or I have walked through many of these visualizations where I'm holding a child and we're like really committed to listening to that aspect 
But sometimes that aspect is losing its dang mind at that time. And you just can't be there. Like you can't get the message. And so there's this like habit that I have gained that's basically like, um, can we ask this one to please turn down the volume? Because it's we really want to be there. Uh, but we're not going to be able to be there if the volume is this high. And I feel like sometimes practicing relating with ourselves that way and like making those gentle requests and acknowledging those needs in like our internal dialogue or with our own internal coworkers, you know, can be one way to just become more familiar with making those soft requests. I always think about, am I wanting to identify to this person that their behavior is a problem or am I wanting to relate to them and build a relationship? So sometimes you do want to say, please lower your voice. And it is okay to be that direct because you don't want to say, I have this vulnerability with somebody. And that's like with somebody who's a true abuser who you Mm -hmm want to protect yourself around so many takeaways here and i feel like we could have a series even on expectations and how we navigate them but one of the things that i want to mirror back and sort of pull the thread on so that we can go deeper in the future or get people's stories to share with us what you have experienced is around the loud talker context matters when it comes to our expectations meeting tension in reality I kind of am walking away with the impression that the workplace isn't a free space where we pretend that power dynamics don't exist. Actually, it's a place where in our privileges, right, and that we are in a hierarchical system, it makes sense to inventory the powers that we hold and to nuance our actions around our expectations with awareness of those power dynamics. I love how you said, you know, there's power gathering in places where you have been marginalized or minoritized in some way, but there's also weaponizing the powers that you do have. Mm -hmm. So I think one of my top takeaways is that you know, given the awareness that an expectation is violated, it is a really, really good time to step back, do that boundary work and check in. What do I need? How do I care for myself? Can I exit? Can I renew my commitment to supporting myself, relocating my body, even if it creates some adverse consequence? And then from a genuinely safe space, right? Map some of those factors. Okay. Who's this person? What's this context? What would it look like for my value to be served Mm -hmm. so that I can choose? Do I actually want to interact about this or do I just need a new kind of personal practice or policy of like when it's tuna sandwich time in the cubicles, I will be going for a walk because that is what I'm doing when the workroom becomes a lunchroom. Maybe I relocate me. I also always like to say, sometimes we got a job and we think Basically, we got a job at a pet store petting and snuggling kittens. And that's how the job gets billed to us. Like, we're a family. Things are wonderful here. You're just going to be cuddling all day long and you're going to love everyone. And then Nerf guns. We have a kegerator. Check out our cool couch. Everyone has unlimited pay time off for work life balance. Right. We get set up with these expectations even during the hiring process. And then we go home like the first day and we're like, oh, I have some like scratches on. This is weird. I feel a little weird. And we talk to our partner, our friends, and we're like, does this look like a scratch to you? And they're like, I don't know. I mean, maybe I don't know. It seems okay to me. And then things start getting worse and worse and we're coming home bloody and like, you know, what's happening. But when we talk to people about it, they're like, 
Well, it sounded like a pet store to me. Like, And then eventually we have to come to terms that we're working in a zoo in the tiger cage. We're not working at a pet store. And at that point, I think you have to put on protective armor. You have to use tools. You can't go into a tiger cage and pretend that it's a kitten basket anymore. And to me, that is setting and enforcing boundaries. It is saying, if a tiger is charging me, I will leave this environment. And that is okay because my duty is to protect myself. And I think that some of it is acknowledging that you're experiencing harm and you don't even have to identify a culprit for the harm. Like no one's going to be like that tiger shouldn't have charged you. Like that's what tigers do. Maybe that's what our coworkers are going to keep doing, but acknowledging that and acknowledging that we are having a trauma experience or we have experiences we don't want to tolerate in this workplace, I think is kind of the first step to saying, okay, how do I put on some protective gear? How do I make sure the tigers are cleared out of the cage before I go to clean it? You know? I love it. I think that takes it to a whole next level because it's not just like stepping back and looking at my expectations and what I might want to do around them. But it's also believing yourself when you notice that there is a divergence or a misalignment between expectations and reality and continuing to look at the actual reality underneath the interpretation to be willing to say, no, these like minor scratches are turning into deeper wounds here. I acknowledge the wounds. The wounds are part of the reality. The reality demands attention and I will attend to it. Yeah. And I don't even have to label the tigers as bad. I don't have to have other people agree with me to know that they're tigers. Like they're just tigering and I need to protect myself. And so I think when there's that extreme level of like gaslighting, abuse. Misrepresentation almost of like the working environment mm -hmm. happens a lot in industries. Yeah. Then I think like the most important thing is our own safety. Yeah. We always come back there. Tell us what you think about this. Share with us your stories or your challenges or your lessons learned or the lessons you wish you had known earlier around expectations. Uh, Meredith, if people have a story to share or an experience around expectations to share, where can they reach out to us? They can go to erisresolution.com slash story. It's E-R-I-S resolution.com slash story. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to connecting again next time on Empowered Communication. The Empower Communication Podcast is produced by Same Team Media, music by Sarai Johnson.